Welcome to Mrs. Flick's Picks, where busy moms can find the best books for their kids. Join me in my mission to cultivate children's moral imagination through good stories, beautifully written. Well, hello and welcome back to Mrs. Flick's Picks. I am Carrie Flick. And no, I have not started smoking. Uh, My voice is not normally this scratchy and deep. I caught a really bad cold last week, and I'm just glad to have a voice at all. And I thought about postponing the recording a little while. And then, you know what, today's topic is on dragons. And I thought, oh, well, this is kind of appropriate, nice, scratchy, scary sounding voice for the topic of dragons. Um, And I wanted to talk today, not just about dragons, but specifically dragons and power. I believe that fairy tales are absolutely essential reading for children. And one of the many reasons is that they feature evil, which may be depicted as a witch, a wolf, a giant, a dragon. But the reader knows this is a fairy tale. And so the end is already assured. We know the closing words will be, and thus they lived happily ever after. So regardless of how hopeless a situation may seem, regardless of how hot the dragon's breath may be, we can rest easy knowing that our hero will ultimately emerge victorious. And in fairy tales specifically, the hero is a regular, everyday sort of person, but he or she is helped by a supernatural or magical being. Cinderella is a normal girl, but it is her fairy godmother who has the power to transform her rags. Aladdin is just a regular boy, but with the power of the genie, he is transformed. The prince is an ordinary prince until the fairy sends him to wake the sleeping beauty. Again and again, it is the supernatural being that grants magical transformation and victory to an ordinary, everyday sort of person. What is a troubling trend in modern young adult fiction, however, is a reversal of those roles. If you read modern fantasy genre, you will most likely read about protagonists who ultimately defeat evil by a discovery of their own innate power and magical abilities. They thought themselves to be an ordinary Joe, but now have unearthed their hidden genealogy. They are actually a magical being of some sort. In some of these books, the term fairy is used, but oftentimes the stories take place in an entirely fantastical world with other races and casts of beings. But the idea is the same. This young hero was always special, unique, set apart. They always had the power to slay the dragon. They just needed to know themselves more completely. Now, we believers, of course, know that this is not just bunk, but it is the oldest lie in the book. The first dragon used the lure of knowledge and power to tempt our first parents to sin, and we have been falling for it ever since. Let's remind ourselves, through good story of the truth of the gospel, 
we were dead in our sin and totally unable to save ourselves until the true prince came to wake us and achieved for us the happy ever after we long for. My first pick for you today is St. George and the Dragon, retold by Margaret Hodges and illustrated by Trina Schart-Hyman. The tale of St. George is actually one from Edmund Spencer's The Fairy Queen, and this version shortens it significantly and makes it more suitable for children. The story features the Princess Una, whose kingdom is under assault by a terrible dragon. George is a knight who does not entirely understand his own origins, but commits to defending Una and her people from this monster. His battle with the beast is long and quite bloody. Twice, George is nearly slain by the dragon, but he ultimately emerges victorious. I will be honest with you that this book takes quite a while to read out loud, and the majority of it is simply a detailed narration of the battle. But I think it's important for two reasons. Firstly, the language is beautiful. Storytelling is one of the highest arts, one that has been honored since time began. Children should be exposed to long and complex sentences early on to develop appreciation for the beauty of an idea expressed well. But for my second argument as to why you should read this one, it's nicely summed up by G.K. Chesterton. He says, quote, Fairy tales do not give the child his first idea of bogey. What fairy tales give the child is his first clear idea of the possible defeat of bogey. The baby has known the dragon intimately ever since he had an imagination. What the fairy tale provides for him is a St. George to kill the dragon. And this version of that timeless story is the best place to start. If you're interested in exploring more of the stories from the Fairy Queen, I've also included in the book list links another one. It's a collection of stories retold by Jeannie Lang, which is also excellent and is suitable for older children as well. Next up is a bit of a different sort of pick than my usual fare. It's called Dragons and Dragon Slayers, written by Tim Chester. This is not just one story, but rather a collection of eight dragon legends from around the world in various cultures, including Viking peoples, Native Americans, Japanese, ancient Greeks, and early Britons. The story arc in each is similar. A monstrous dragon preys upon innocent humans until a dragon slayer arrives to end the death and destruction for good. Each account is only a few pages long and can be enjoyed individually and in any order. I love this collection because it shows just how innate and ingrained the dragon tales are in our humanity. Humans across time and cultures have not been able to keep themselves from telling stories that echo the one true story of the Bible, which is that of the dragon slayer Jesus. Tim Chester, the writer, is a pastor, and while he's not the most imaginative or romantic of authors, he does a great job at tying these tales together in the truth of the gospel. 
This book would be suitable for young, independent readers, but the brevity of each story would be a great family read-aloud option as well. And lastly, I have picked Madeline LaAngle's Many Waters. Now, this book is technically the fourth in LaAngle's Wrinkle in Time fantasy series. I really like the first three books of the Time Trilogy, and those are suitable for upper elementary and middle school kids. Many Waters, though, should definitely be saved for high school, and it can also be read without any former knowledge of the Time Trilogy. This book is a fascinating telling of the story of Noah and the Ark. The two protagonists are twin brothers, Sandy and Dennis, who were hurled back to Noah's time. While there, they befriend Noah's family and see firsthand the evil and depravity of that ancient world. They are also tempted themselves to participate in the sensuality and vainglory of not just the surrounding peoples, but also the Nephilim demons who play a prominent role in humanity's everyday life. I think what is so helpful about this book is how the reader is very much in the same position as the teen boys. Like them, we know the story of the flood, and we know how it all plays out. And yet, Langle manages to show us how alluring and seemingly beautiful evil can be. The demons are depicted as extremely powerful and mysterious. They promise beauty and power to those who join them. And the temptation is tantalizing for a period. But eventually, they are revealed for the dragons that they are. And the reader is struck by the enduring beauty of everything God is and all who serve him in righteousness. Obviously, in a fantasy novel, there are all sorts of extra-biblical imaginative details, including unicorns. But Madeleine L'Angle was a Christian, and she's careful not to write anything that contradicts the biblical account. And as I said, although there isn't anything graphic or overtly inappropriate, because of the nature of the narrative concerning the demons and their human partners and their various sin activities— I would save this one for ages 14 and up. And that wraps up this week's picks. If you're enjoying these episodes, I would love for you to leave me a review or a rating, and I hope to see you back next time. Happy reading!